From high atop Fibush Media World News Headquarters in Rochester, New York, this is the Top of the Tower podcast. The Top of the Tower podcast is brought to you by Shively Labs. Shively Labs is a division of Howell Laboratories. Shively is a proud employee-owned company with over 50 years of expert antenna and filter design and manufacturing. And by Yellowtech. For broadcasters, podcasters, and content creators, Yellowtech offers solutions for clean, efficient studios with the Mika mic arms and monitor supports. Clear audio from Yellowtech's IXM recording microphone and USB sound cards, along with its compact mixer, the Intellimix. To learn more, go to yellowtech.com. We continue this week with part two of our interview with Saul Levine. Of course, if you listened to part one last week, and go back and listen to part one last week if you haven't yet, and then come back and listen to part two. In part one, we talked to Saul Levine about his very long, very fascinating career in radio. Uh, he is, of course, now into his 90s and uh, still on scene every day in West Los Angeles as the owner and operator of Mount Wilson FM Broadcasting, which operates KKGO, the country station in L.A., KSUR, KSURF, the oldies station, and a couple of stations up the coast in Monterey as well. Here in part two of the podcast, we hear from Saul about what he thinks of the state of the radio industry today, about station values, about what it's like to do business in a uh, conglomerate-dominated world, and much more. So here is part two of our interview with Saul Levine. And then stay tuned. We've got an extra little L.A. area bonus for you at the end. But right now, here's Saul Levine, part two. Let's talk a little about station valuation, because presumably there were points at the peak of the market. I'm sure you must have been getting nine-figure offers to part with your FM station. What do you see happening now? We were talking a little about WABC and, and what it just sold for. What's your sense of, of where this is headed? I, I feel just outrageous. And those stations, the, not only the FM, but the AM, the AMs, are worth a fortune. And they were given away. And uh, I'm extremely disappointed because it makes an AM radio look bad. And uh, what can I say? I just... Uh, I can't believe that uh, that uh, WABC, in my opinion, what that station is worth, fifty to a hundred million, and it's going for twelve and a half million. What can I say? It's just a, a fire sale. So, I still believe in the value of AM. I think there there are two things that AM needs, plus some confidence. AM needs to add HD, which I have done, to my AM here in town. Buy some modern equipment and put some decent programming on. Make an investment. And I, I have often said, <clears throat> you take, if Taylor Swift came out with a new recording, but it could only be heard on AM, you know where I'm going. There would not be any FM listening in America. It's that simple. You give the public what it wants, give them the programming with a decent signal, they're going to listen. You're the only one programming these oldies now. I mean, you listen to K-Earth, which was once the 60s oldies station, and it's all 80s music now. So you're the only one really programming 60s, 50s, and 60s. 50s 60s. What, what kind of feedback are you getting? Are listeners finding you mostly on the AM? You're on the FM HD2 with it? You stream? Well, and this is what happened about two weeks ago. We got the bright idea. K-Earth has a huge audience in L.A., three million people. 
we're doing a little less than 200,000. Why don't we just take some of their audience away from them? So we, we announced on the air we're going to add a few 80s. We had a, we had a riot. People na- we thought I was a nasty person. So we're back to, we're back to the original. I brought my mom out here a couple of years ago and put 1260 on in the car once we landed. Said, what is this station? Why don't I have this at home? This is great. Yes. Well, I have listeners across the country because we're streaming, and they love it. So uh, <clears throat> the advertising is slim. In, in fact, it loses money, but we're happy. You've got another interesting arrangement here. Ever since the jazz left 1051. You're involved now with with eighty eight one, which you don't hold the license for. How does that How does that arrangement work, and and how is it working out? Well, here's here's the arrangement. We don't own the station, but we consult it. Since I'm considered somewhat of a jazz, uh, uh, I don't know about the second word I would add to that, mm-hmm. but somewhat of that. I have produced more jazz than any other human being on earth, almost continuously from nineteen. Um, from 1960 when KBCA went jazz to the present time I have programmed jazz KKJZ owned by Cal State University um, Long Beach was was having trouble operating the station because they don't have the experience so they came to me and asked me to consult the station for them which I do I don't get paid I've never drawn a paycheck. You can see that these are all jazz records that came in. Um, I, I helped them do the programming. I'm very proud that we are, I say we, it's not my station. It's, it's the school station, number one jazz station in America. We even more, have more audience than WBGO New York, and, uh, and they have double the population. It's the programming. So we consult that. But uh, it's their station. I'm happy they're doing well with it. It's a community station. No public stations are in trouble and uh, are going off the air, being sold to uh-huh. non-profits, etc. And they're hanging on because of what we're doing. You've got them in HD now. I know you've got their student station well, running. I donated their transmitter, by the way. We couldn't do it uh, with the full power. It's over 100000 I donated that. And I'm just proud of the signal. It, it was uh, it was a Mickey Mouse arrangement. They did have some HD, but uh, they went through a um, a combiner, and it was just messing up the signal. So when we threw that combiner out and have separate HD, separate analog, our signal just went right up, same power. But anyway, I'm just very proud that we could help the university out and keep jazz on the air. Do you still get up to Mount Wilson? Yes, not as often as I used to. As a matter of fact, I've got to get up there and uh, check it out. Because I'll tell you, if you're up there about 2 a.m. in the morning, smog disappears, and you can see 100 miles. It's it's an exciting sight. The the history up there just fascinates me. Yes, yes, it is remarkable. And you you must have been up there when John Poole was operating up there, right? John Poole was already up there a year or two. Well, he had incredible resources, and he went on with, uh, I think, 60,000 watts, 50, 60,000. I got on with 6 kilowatts. We're now 18. Mm-hmm. If I could have afforded a 50-kilowatt transfer in those days, I would have that power today. 
And that's now, that became KBIG FM, and that's, I think, still uh, the second largest or largest FM signal up there. Well, uh, KPFA has 115 KW, but I think they are, uh, KBIG is probably the uh, most powerful commercial. Yeah. I think K-Earth is, uh, is up there, too. And he, about, well, they're also in the 50s or 60s. It's an amazing story. He kept a UHF TV transmitter running up there for several years with just a test pattern, from what I understand. A smart man. So looking back, I mean, you've you've been at this now. You know, most of the people who were doing independent radio when you were the John Pools, even Jerry Lee now has has sold his station. I think you're probably the dean of of independent owners in a large size market. I am the longest operating, maybe the oldest, and um, longest operating manager owner of a major market radio station in the United States. It's amazing. What are your plans going forward from here? Keep doing what we're doing. Now, my, my son is uh, is helping out, so to speak. He's a sales manager, national sales manager, local sales manager. He's the uh, – I'm, I'm general manager, but he's station manager. Uh, he's program director. Uh, by the way, we're the number one country station in America. I believe it. QM-wise, QM. And that's unbelievable because – the. Uh, the um, the the, uh, the people who had KZLA said the market couldn't support it, and uh, we proved them wrong. We're taking in a lot less money than they were taking in because they used to do a lot of things that they could do as as a part of a group right. that we can't do. But it's okay, we're in the black. So we want to keep doing what we're doing. My daughter is uh, is helping out with the station here. And she helps out at KJAZZ, too. So uh, I'm very pleased about that. So the whole mashbaha is in, in, <laughs> in radio. Are there regrets? What, what do you wish you had gotten in on maybe somewhere along the way that, uh, that you missed out on? <clears throat> yes, I have regrets. I wish that I'd had the money to buy a high-power transmitter and put on Mount Wilson. I wish that I had been able to keep uh, 540. I mean, that got caught up in, the, in that whole expanded band mess that the FCC still really hasn't fully resolved all these years later. Uh, correct, they have not. They were supposed to have taken that station off the air, and, uh, and they haven't. So uh, that's that's another area that I'm not commenting on. Hmm. But uh, I also brought one of the first independent FM stations to San Francisco. And that was interesting because I was able to rent space at the old Sutro Mansion. I don't know if Sutro means anything to most people today, but Sutro was one of the uh, one of the early. There are various names uh, going from bandits uh, to so on, uh, Gold Rush and so on. But he he built a railroad. He built this mansion on on, uh, on Sutro Peak, and I actually had the station in the bathroom. Really? The bathroom was about twenty by forty feet. And I partitioned it, and I, one was a studio, one half, the other half was the, tr- the transmitter, which was a, uh, it was a uh, 10KW, and it was very hard to get a transmitter in those days. It was made of surplus parts, yeah. went on the air in 59, and people were still not making FM transmitters. So, um, so I was very excited about that, and it was before the, the Sutro Tower. Right. So I was on the old tower, which was about 1,200 feet, and I was up at about 1,000 feet. 
ABC owned it then at that time, right? Yes. Yeah. And an engineer, who, if I'm correct, named Harry Warner, who was a gentleman. I mean, unlike I negotiated leases with other people, I just went up there one day to Harry. I said, Harry, I've got a, I got a CP, and I want to build here. He said, sure. No, no rigmarole. Uh, just sure. And, uh, <clears throat> but I'll tell you something about that. I still was running out of money. I, and I, I was able to get a 5KW transmitter and a 10-element antenna. We were able to get 50 kilowatts out of it. And we tuned it this way. I don't know. You may not have heard the story. But it was a Collins type. And the, the, um, there, there were little disks at the end. I had a, a, a tower rigger go up there and, and an engineer out in the field with, with a field strength meter. And we tuned each disk of the 10-bay antenna for maximum radiation. We had 50 kilowatts coming out of that, all legally. And we were being heard from Redding in Northern California to literally Bakersfield in wow. Southern California. Much more open band back then. Oh, it was clean. It was very, you, know, you, you didn't have anything around you. So how long did you stay in San Francisco with that? I was able to hang out in San Francisco. <clears throat> I'm counting on the fingers of one hand uh, about three years. And it came down to <clears throat> I just didn't have any money coming in either city. It was either lose L.A. and lose San Francisco or lose it in San Francisco. So, you know, I made the only choice that was rational. And I sold off San Francisco, paid off my bills, and haven't been in trouble since then. Wish you still had it? Yes. Yes, I'd have fun with that station. That was another market where there was some good classical competition going for years afterwards. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, KKHI, yeah. KDFC. KDFC, yeah. A guy named uh, 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 Davis um, who did the programming. Very unusual man. He was able to beat uh, uh, KKHI. And I ended up buying KKHI. So I operated that. For a number of years, and then uh, it was uh, it was too much of a struggle. I also built some stations in Honolulu, and uh, we loved Hawaii. And uh, I've just realized I couldn't be all over because still the building was limited. You've had stations up in the Monterey Bay area for a while, I don't know. Yes, yes, we have, and brought real classical music to Monterey, so uh, people appreciate that, and. Uh, bringing jazz and classical music to Honolulu, to Hawaii, and I brought the first UHF TV to Hawaii. Really? Yeah, Channel 26. Uh, what, what year was this? Yeah, it went on the air in, uh, went on the air in, in Honolulu in 1982 hmm. from, the, from the FM site. And uh, we had a lot of fun, because we I was able to cover all of Oahu, because we had up on this peak, which is another story in itself. Nobody else wanted to join me or leave the rooftops of Waikiki and go up on a, on a high elevation. So that means you can't cover all the Oahu because you have this mountain range that mm -hmm. Koala Mountains goes down the middle. So they're on, on the, uh, on the um, leeward side. And uh, they can't get over to Kailua side. And we look right down on Kailua. Mm -hmm. So we, 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 we were able to do that. And that's a story in itself that I had to build this from scratch. Uh, with helicopter, there was no road uh, to get the building up. There was a prefab building to get 75,000 watts. We covered all of Hawaii. And 
I wish I'd kept that. Long way from Sheboygan, Michigan. Yes, a long, long way uh, <laughs> from Sheboygan. But at one time, I had at the same time on the air, you could drive from San Diego to San Francisco and not lose one of my stations. Solavine, thank you so much for taking time to talk with us. Well, I wish I had my broadcast voice, and uh, maybe we'll do another one one day when I don't have laryngitis. We'll count on it. And uh, thank you for all you've done for AM radio. Our thanks again to Saul Levine for taking time to sit down with us in L.A. to tell us about his career. And we hope to get a chance to get back out there and talk with him again sometime before long, because there is always so much more to learn from him and from his history in the industry. But he is not the only L.A. area person uh, who we want you to hear from on the podcast this week. There's one other uh, little bit that we never got on from the NAB show in Las Vegas. We had the opportunity to stop by and uh, pay a call on our friend Shotgun Tom Kelly. Shotgun, of course, is a legendary figure in Southern California radio. He was on the air for years on K-Earth 101, among other stations, uh, based now down in San Diego, where he is heard on 60s on 6 in the afternoons on XM Satellite Radio. And uh, he was working with our friends at ENCO, uh, doing live programming from the floor of the NAB show. We had a chance to sit down, be a guest uh, with him and with Irma Romano, who was uh, co-hosting with him in Las Vegas, and then to pull him over into corner and talk to him a little bit, too. So without further ado, Shotgun Tom Kelly. This is an engineering convention, not a programming convention, but you are here as a programmer. What is it about NAB that gets you out here and gets you excited and talking to all of us out here? Well, let me tell you something, man. A lot of my friends are engineers, and a lot of my friends are here, uh, television engineers, radio engineers. And uh, so when uh, ENCO in, invited me to do this, I said, absolutely, I'm here. Plus, if the money's kind of nice. <laughs> <laughs> there is that. You know, it, you're kind of an evangelist for radio. You have been, uh, you've been doing this for a long time. You're on Sirius XM now, doing 60s on 6. What is it that keeps you excited about doing this? Well, first of all, being on 60s on 6 on Sirius XM, I love the freedom. I have freedom now. When I was on K-Earth, I was on there for like 20 years, uh, and uh, it was cool. I mean, it was a big radio station, but I was really didn't have the freedom that I wanted. I mean, uh, I did a great show, wonderful performance, talked to a lot of people in Hollywood, a lot of stars listened to K-Earth, uh, uh, as a matter of fact, you're not going to believe me. He loves jazz music, but occasionally Clint Eastwood listened to my show. Did you play Misty for him? No, I didn't have Misty to play for him. And I, I, how I found out that he did, I met him uh, at a restaurant, uh, Herb Alpert's restaurant, uh, Vibrato's, in Beverly Hills. And uh, I saw Mr. Eastwood there. And, of course, I'm a little hard to miss because I got a ranger hat. He was looking at me. I was looking at him. He was looking at me and. uh I'm going, well, I'm going to go over and introduce myself to him. And so I said, Mr. Eastwood, I'm Shotgun Tom Kelly. He says, I know who you are. And this is Tom Greason, who is uh, Frank Sinatra's comic. He says, I know who you are, too. So instead of talking about movies, I talked about what really interests Clint, and that is jazz music. Mm-hmm. And our favorite di- jazz disc jockey was uh, uh, Chuck Niles. Mm-hmm. We got into a conversation. It was wonderful. And I used my hands to uh, talk. And I guess you know, he had just a little bit of water in his glass. And uh, 
I was toggling with my hands, and I guess my hand hit his water glass and spilled. And Clint says, hey, I'm not, dri- I'm not driving shotgun with you. Oh. you know? So anyway, that was my... I usually leave that out, but somebody said, don't leave that part of the story oh, out. Part of the story. And you both, you both have stars on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. No, we do not. Uh-oh. That's funny. He doesn't? I, no, he doesn't want one. Really? No. I'll be darned. Well, see, my st- when you, uh, I, I hate to blow the deal, but everybody who gets a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame has to have a sponsor. Mm-hmm. In other words, for that ceremony, uh, it's got to be paid for. They got to close the streets off. LAPD's got to be paid. So my star, thirty thousand dollars for that. Uh, I believe an hour. They have to shut down Hollywood Boulevard or that portion of it for about an hour, and that costs them money. And, of course, the ceremony. Now, the ceremony, I understand, with the Hollywood Chamber of Commerce has gone up. It's 40000 now. So, Clint Eastwood, hey, if you're going to honor me, I'm not going to pay you money. So he refuses to pay the money. I think that's the reason. So you got a star and he doesn't. Yes, but they'd love to give him one. Oh, I'm sure they would. But, you know, he refuses to pay $40,000. And uh, he won't do it. That's what I hear. Now, you talked about having friends who are engineers. Yep. A lot of air talent couldn't care less where the tower is, what it looks like. You are not that person. I love towers. Uh, there was three towers in San Diego, the Navy Towers, and there were three 600-foot-tall, self-supporting towers. I mean, the legs of those towers were uh, bigger than a, than a house. I mean, they were, and those towers have been there since 1918 for the United States Navy. Uh, They used them for communication. As a matter of fact, when Pearl Harbor was hit, uh, the information came from Pearl Harbor to San San Diego to those Navy towers. And from the Navy towers, they went to Washington, D.C. That's how FDR knew that we'd been hit. So you care about this stuff. You keep breaking my heart about not getting to see those towers. But. You will if you come to San Diego. You're going to see at least the top of a tower uh, because they have a museum there. And uh, they uh, chopped off the top of the tower. And uh, as a matter of fact, this is interesting. When they were taking the towers down, uh, they uh, obviously uh, they were they wanted to take them down in pieces. Well, these the, the this is solid steel, Okay. So the helicopter, they unbolted the top of the, uh, of the one of the towers, and they grabbed it to this industrial-strength helicopter, you know, this crane, I think they call it. And so it took the top of the tower off, and it was so heavy, it almost brought the helicopter oh, down. that would have been ugly. He had to come down slowly and drop it. And so they decided, well, we're not going to take the towers apart that way. We're going... And we're going to implode them. So that's when they brought those dynamite guys in. And they have to implode them just right so they didn't fall on the houses that surround Cholas Lake is where the, and College Grove is where the towers are. And when I get to San Diego this summer, I'm coming to see your model train layout, which also has towers on it. Yes, I have an AM tower, which is down by the river. You have to, for a good AM signal, you have to have moisture. Mm-hmm. It's like KGO. That's why KGO's towers are in the bay. That's why they get out so good. And, of course, then I have a, a television tower on top of a mountain. And With bat wings and all. Oh, you know, bat wings and all. You're going to love it, man. I can't wait. And, uh, and then uh, uh, I have a, a AM, FM radio television station right there uh, on the layout downtown. And the AM station's transmitter 
is out by the AM tower on the layout, and it's in its own building. I love it. Oh, and by the way, you, you get, I, I have roads that are named. Really? You know, you know where the AM tower uh, is? You know the road is? Tower Road? Radio Road. Radio Road. <laughs> Shotgun Tom, thank you so much. We'll be listening on uh, Sirius XM, 60s on 6. Oh, thank you, baby. I'm on from 4 in the afternoon until 9 Pacific, 7 to midnight on the East Coast. I hear you driving around. Hi, baby. All you right. better believe it, baby. <laughs> and that concludes the Southern California portion of the Top of the Tower podcast. But there is much more to come from our Western Swing. Tune in again for our next installment of the Top of the Tower podcast where we will visit the biggest Native American-owned broadcasting operation anywhere in the West. That, of course, is KTNN and its sister station, KWRK, in Window Rock, Arizona, where we had a chance to sit down with their general manager and uh, talk to him about the uh, really unique operation out there and what they do and their fantastic new studios, too. So that's coming up next week on the Top of the Tower podcast. Please join us again there. And, of course, join us for Tower Site of the Week and for Northeast Radio Watch every week on FiveWish.com. The Top of the Tower podcast is brought to you by Yellow Tech. For broadcasters, podcasters, and content creators, Yellow Tech offers solutions for clean, efficient, studios with the Mika mic arms and monitor supports, clear audio from Yellow Tech's IXM recording microphone and USB sound cards, along with its compact mixer, the Intellimix. To learn more, go to yellowtech.com. And from Shively Labs, Shively Labs is a division of Howell Laboratories. Shively is a proud employee-owned company with over 50 years of expert antenna and filter design and manufacturing. We will see you again next week right here from the Top of the Tower podcast. I'm Scott Feibusch. Thanks for listening.